Welcome to the Focus on Agriculture podcast, where we address topics relevant to today's consumers and farmers. I'm Preston Schrader. And I'm Jason Carr. Preston and I are Technology Development Reps, or TDRs, for Bear Crop Science. As TDRs, our primary mission is to help solve agronomic challenges that farmers face and to understand how to best utilize the bear suite of products, including traits, genetics, crop protection, as well as digital tools, to create solutions that are tailored to each grower's unique farm. We have a couple goals with this podcast, the first being to help farmers across the country to address challenges that they face throughout the growing season while introducing them to game-changing technology that has the potential to radically benefit their farming practices. We also want to provide the consumers of ag commodities who are not necessarily involved in agriculture with information about the practices farmers engage in and the reasons behind them, hopefully provide a greater level of understanding and comfort with how their food is produced. For our episode today, we have former state senator and current director of the Illinois Department of Agriculture, John Sullivan. Good afternoon, Director Sullivan. Uh, Thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule today to have a conversation with us for for this podcast. To start out, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how your career led you to being appointed director of the Illinois Department of Ag? Uh, Absolutely. Well, first of all, it's good to visit with you. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, Yeah, so I'm a a West West Central Illinois uh, resident and have been my entire life. I was born in McDonough County uh, in Macomb, and uh, lived there. My family lived there on a farm out uh, northwest of town for a number of years, and then moved over along the Mississippi River over in uh, Hancock County, and and that's really where I uh, did most of my schooling. And I uh, graduated from high school in Hamilton, went to Quincy College, uh, got a degree in history, uh, and then after um, after college, took a job in Rushville over in Skyler County, which is where I live right now, and uh, own a small farm that my wife and I own and operate. But uh, out of school, I spent about five years, spent about five years in ag lending and uh, working for uh, early on for farm credit. It was PCA at the time, Production Credit Association, and then in a commercial bank uh, for a few years. And then after, um, in the mid 80s, I joined my family's real estate and auction business Spent about 20, 20 some years uh, as a partner in that business, and then uh, in 2002, I decided I'd, I wanted to run for uh, politics, get into politics, and I ran for the Illinois State Senate. Was successful. Served uh, 14 years as a state senator, representing oh 13 counties, all or part of 13 counties in the West Central Illinois. And uh, and then in 2016, early 2017, well, actually in 2016, I did not run for re-election. I felt like 14 years was uh, long enough. And so went back into the family's real estate and auction business and did that for two years until I got a call from then Governor-elect Pritzker. And he asked if I would consider being the department, the director of the Department of Ag. And so that's where we are here today. Well, th- thank you, Director. Um, I, uh, you know, a lot of us can probably kind of relate to your background there, right up until you uh, ran for state senate. So, um, <laughs> but um, uh, we're glad that we have good people in those roles that that we can have represent us. So, um, Illinois is one of the leading agricultural states, obviously, and I just thought maybe could you talk just a little bit about the importance of ag to the economy of the state. 
Well, you often hear this uh, said, and it is absolutely true that uh, we, it, agriculture in Illinois is the number one industry in the state. And uh, USDA, you know, gave out, put out some numbers here uh, earlier in the spring, but $19 billion annually in, uh, in agriculture-related uh, revenue that comes into the state. We're the number one soybean producer, number two corn producer, number four in uh, hog production. And uh, so our, our impact to the state is, uh, is, is tremendous, obviously. And, uh, um, you know, it's, uh, we have the land mass. We have, you know, 70, over 70,000 farms in the state. And uh, um, it's, uh, the, the impact on Illinois, at, the impact that agriculture has on Illinois is, is very significant indeed. One of our focuses with this podcast is to kind of bridge the gap between farmers and consumers. And so despite this importance of ag here in Illinois, there's often a disconnect between farmers and the consumers, especially when you start talking about topics such as GMOs and the use of crop protection products. What's your take on this and um, what does the government's role entail when it comes to bridging that gap? Well, I think it's it has to be an education process and it has to be decisions um, that are represented by science and not, you know, not myth and, and uh, urban, you know, legend, so to speak. Uh, um, you know, we, we in the ag sector, number one, our, our numbers are dwindling, when you, especially when you start talking about producers. You know, the actual farmers, a number of farmers out there are getting smaller every year, so there's not as many individuals that are directly involved with agriculture like they're certainly like there used to be and i'm going to go back uh, i'm going to back up just a minute when i was in the illinois state senate and there's uh 59 state senators that represent districts all over the state of illinois the state of illinois is considered i think approximately 75 somewhere around 75 percent of the state of illinois is considered to be agricultural land and so when you look at those numbers and 59 state senators that represent the entire state, and yet I really, for the majority of my time in the Senate, I was the only member of the Senate that was actively involved in farming, and mine was a small operation. I have about 300 acres that uh, my wife and I own and operate, small cow herd as well. But the, uh, you know, so you start, you, you put that into content, into context, you know, as far as the fact that agriculture is so important to the state and it represents a, you know, the, from a production standpoint, a very significant geography landmass part of this state. And, and yet the, the numbers of individuals that are actually out in production agriculture are dropping every year. So uh, it makes our job in agriculture even more difficult to try to educate the non-farm community as to what we're doing and why we're doing it. And, why we're doing it in, in a in a safe and respectful way, you know, to the to the land. So it's a I think education is certainly key to it, and, and there's been some programs out there that have been certainly successful. But it's a it's an area that we're going to have to do a better job of. Yeah, it's kind of sobering when you think about it like that. You you know you pointed out you're the out of 59 senators, one one active farmer. That's um, not real proportionate representation to what what we really see across the landscape of the state that's true and you know and if i could just uh when I, when I took the when i decided to run for the senate and then i was successful and won i i had really had no idea that my what my role would be 
uh, in the Senate as far as really being the, the go-to person, the, vo the voice of agriculture in the Illinois State Senate. Uh, it was a job and a role that I cherished. I was, you know, feel very, uh, feel great that I had the opportunity to play that role. But on the other hand, just just the just how how significant and how how the impact was to uh, to the Senate and to agriculture and on the issues that we had to deal with uh, to you know to be the go-to person. Uh, it was an honor on one hand, but certainly it's a it's a challenge when you're talking to and there's they're, they're good people. I, I'm you know my my colleagues, former colleagues in the Senate, all representing districts just like I was and all trying to look out for their you know constituents. But uh, certainly our, the challenges were there as I tried to educate uh, and uh, help them to understand why it is that we do what we do. Yeah, given that kind of environment. Um... What are we looking at going ahead as far as freedom to operate from a grower perspective and and also from the companies that help bring these um, products to market are we are we in danger of losing some freedom to operate or do you feel like um, we're making headway with the um, education piece oh I'd say yes and no uh, obviously I think there are some some areas that we're making some gains on as far as uh, as we try to um, Try to help educate and and make folks better understand uh, what our what our goals and missions are. But on the other hand, uh, because of I think because of the sheer numbers that we're up against, I think it's uh, I think it's getting harder and more difficult to do that. So uh, our our challenges are going to continue. There's no question about it. I, I think that there has to be more of an outreach on a you know, obviously on a statewide and national level, but also just on an individual level. I mean, some of the programs, you know, you got the Ag in the Classroom program where we're, we're um, you know, we have farmers and, and educators that understand farming that are going into the classrooms and helping uh, helping educate, uh, you know, the non-farm community. I think that's a, that's a tremendous program. I think, you know, Farm Bureau has the Adopt-a-Legislator program. I think I've, I have seen firsthand how successful that program has been in uh, trying to get some of the you know, elected officials that certainly from the urban areas of the states, specifically from the city of Chicago to, you know, to get them out on a farm and actually see uh, how we take care of our livestock and what we do to take care of our farmland and, you know, what it takes to own and operate a farm. I think all those types of programs are, are, are very important. You know, looking ahead is uh, are, are, are our challenges going to increase? Yes, I think that they are, which is going to you know, require us to do even more outreach uh, whenever we have that opportunity. I wanted to zero in a little bit on the 2019 crop. It's been a crazy year, as you're well aware. Um, it's been a challenging year for farmers across the state. Much of the crop was planted late, and then quite a few acres weren't even planted at all. Uh, what's being done in, in the form of disaster relief? Well, a couple of things. First of all, Governor Pritzker, pretty early on in the spring when we saw how dramatic the flooding was along the major rivers here in Illinois, especially the Illinois River and the Mississippi River, uh, the governor declared those, I think there was 37, a total of 37 counties that were declared FEMA disaster counties. And uh, that was mainly due to the high waters and, you know, the levee, the work that was done to protect the levees and support the levees. And, and of course, there was communities also along the rivers that were impacted as well. So, number one, that uh, that disaster declaration, the FEMA disaster declaration on those counties, uh, opens up. Hopefully, will open up some resources to to help those communities and and families that live in the in those floodplains. 
The second thing that um, is that was done, or it's in the process, uh, the process been, has been started, and that is to to have um, the other counties in the state of Illinois declared as um, this is also a USDA. This is a USDA disaster declaration. It's called a secretarial disaster declaration, and it would be done by USDA Secretary Sonny Perdue. He would be the one who would make that disaster declaration, and. So the uh, farm service agencies uh, all across the state have reported to the executive director here in Illinois um, that uh, you know what kind of an impact this planting season and the wet weather has had on their counties, and um, so the, the state director Bill Graf uh, convened a state emergency board. I attended that board meeting, and at that meeting there was uh, the the uh, director with input from these other agencies said yes we're going to make the request to Washington to Secretary Purdue for all 102 counties to be declared a secretarial disaster declaration and so that's where that that request has been made it has not been acted on yet out in uh, Washington which uh, is not not too surprising to me because I, I tell as you folks know, and I'm sure many of your listeners will know, we, we really don't know what the extent of this disaster is going to, going to be until until after harvest. So, you know, it's good. we know that there obviously late late planting took place in Illinois, but we don't know what the growing season is going to be like here over the summer. So is it going to turn off hot and dry and have drought-like conditions? Is it going to continue to rain? Uh, and I think probably the, mo the biggest unknown is uh, if we – when that first frost is going to come this fall. If we have a, a, a real early frost and it does some uh, further damage to this young crop, uh, that could uh, that that's going to have a that's going to turn this uh, into a much bigger disaster than it is. So uh, we're kind of waiting. I'm sure there's going to be some folks that are waiting to see what's going to happen there before we really know the extent of this damage. But those are two things on the disaster declaration side of it. Um, I'd like to, if, I, if we have time, I'd like to talk, talk a little bit about a cover crop initiative that the department has worked on, if that'd be okay. Yeah, great. Absolutely. We'd like to hear about it. So I asked, uh, actually, the governor called, oh, gosh, it's been a month and a half ago, probably now, and he said, John, you know, what, what, is, what can the state of Illinois, what can the Department of Ag do to help, you know, these farmers? And so I put that question to my staff here, and, and uh, one, of, one of the gentlemen here on our, one of our employees at the department said, well, what if, we, what if we came up with a cover crop initiative, an incentive program that would be used solely on the prevented planting acres? So the acres that didn't get planted this year that are laying fallow, um, there's, uh, you know, obviously we, uh, we as farmers should uh, control that land, you know, make sure that the weeds are controlled or, uh, you know, that it doesn't wash away or, you know, the wind blow it away. And how about if we put an incentive out there to put a cover crop on that? So we started working within our soil and water um, division here, our bureau here at the uh, department and working with our local soil and water conservation districts. Uh, we've uh, we, we've located five hundred thousand dollars in our budget, and uh, we set it aside to be used strictly as an incentive, five dollars per acre. It's it's not any huge incentive, but a small incentive to encourage farmers to uh, to to put a cover crop on those prevented planted acres, and and um, it has been hugely successful. Um, we have. Uh, I mean, just literally in a matter of about two or three weeks, the uh, the dollars were have been allocated. 
which uh, is exactly what we wanted, although I was kind of surprised at how quickly it happened. And uh, so by putting those cover crops out there, obviously it helps control weeds, it, it helps to reduce uh, soil loss, and of course it also helps on the reduction of uh, nutrient losses as well. So it's really a win-win for, um, for the farmers and for the environment, and so something that I uh, uh, feel very good about and, and, and you know, glad of its success. Yeah, that's, that's a great initiative and glad to hear that it took off so well because, um, like you mentioned, there's a lot of sustainability um, concerns when you leave the ground set fallow like that and as well as, um, you know, letting the weeds get out of control. Never a good idea. That's something that growers could be fighting for years and years down the road. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, we if we should control the weeds and that, that could be done with tillage or with, uh, you know, sprays or, you know, if we could do a combination of the tillage with that cover crop on there to help uh, control those weeds, obviously, uh, that's really, uh, you know, you take a bad situation, the fact that we have these these acres that are not going to be in production, but, uh, you know, to put a cover crop on them to uh, to assist them, or you know, through the course of the this year and into next year, it's uh, it's really a a good thing turning a good a bad situation into a positive. Speaking of sustainability, I hear a lot. We hear a lot about agricultural runoff that finds its way into the Mississippi River and ultimately the Gulf of Mexico in the form of the the hypoxia zone. What do you anticipate from a government policy perspective being adopted to address that issue? Well, it's an issue that we have to continue to be vigilant on. Um, it's, you know, we've done we we we've done a lot. We we worked with uh, a lot of different stakeholders from different states, uh, from the environmental side to the production side to the, you know, the fertilizer chemical side. Really, what you know, the two the nutrients that we're looking at is the phosphorus and and uh, nitrogen. That's that's predominantly what we're. Uh, what we're trying to reduce those runoffs, and uh, you know, of course, Illinois is a, a part of that Gulf of Mexico, Mexico hypoxia task force. We were for several years, and and um, you know, what we've been trying to do, and what this organization, and I was on a conference call earlier this week with uh, all the different states. Of course, EPA very involved with this as well, but you know, trying to use uh, really science and and technology to make the decisions about how we can. What we can, how we can reduce the nutrient loss, and what kind of steps we can take to, uh, you know, to control this. Now, this year, with the flooding that we've had, it's it's really, uh, it's 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 kind of thrown a lot of things in disarray for obvious reasons, and uh, it's, it's certainly having a an impact that uh, that we had not hoped for. But uh, you know, we've made progress. Um, the state. You know, I talked about the one cover crop initiative with these with these uh, prevented planting acres, but we also in our in our uh, budget this year we have an additional cover crop initiative that we worked with. You know, as I kind of that those same that same working group. You know, many from the environmental community, many from agriculture, uh, you know, fertilizer chemical association, farm bureau, uh, a lot of different um, uh, stakeholders, and we came together and we were able to. Uh, this will be the first year of a, of, a, of a, a, another cover crop initiative that would be more traditional in the fact that it would be those cover crops would be applied after harvest in the fall, um, so that that land over the winter time, as it's laying dormant, there's a cover crop on it, and certainly would help with uh, the uh, nutrient loss, you know, over the summer and into over the winter and into the spring. So, you know, that's another uh, another program that we have. Uh, 
uh, you know, working on and again with other states as well. So, you know, long term, um, we're we're going to have to stay vigilant. We're going to have to be we're going to have to keep uh, you know making further advancements in uh, in our farming practices to make sure that we can uh, continue to reduce that runoff. Yeah, it's obviously a situation where from the from the average consumer to I mean just the average American basically that's not involved in farm to farmers it's obviously important that we find some solutions that are sustainable and you know beneficial to the farmers also. So you know just for example I mean if I just follow up with with uh with you just a minute you know on this cover crop initiative this this prevented planting program that we did uh cover crop program on the prevented planted acres this year you know here in Illinois uh it, it's going to be right at 100,000 acres that that have that will have cover crops on it as a, a part of this initiative so um you know in 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 the big picture is, is can we do more acres yes uh but we uh one thing that we have found out is as 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 farmers have have come into their soil and water conservation district offices to ask about this cover crop initiative on these prevented planted acres the the soil and water conservation district folks are telling us that many of these are farmers that have never had never been into their office had never talked about different conservation practices so if we're opening the door and exposing some of the opportunities to some farmers that normally haven't taken uh, advantage of that i think that that's a that's a win for us uh, that you know it's hard to record hard to uh, uh you know put in put in facts but i think the more that we can do the more uh, we get uh, individuals and farmers and producers talking about ways to reduce nutrient loss i think that's that's going to be very very critical to our success continuing just a little bit with the um, discussion of the mississippi obviously it's a important method of transport for a lot of ag commodities and we know that the locks and dams are getting old we hear things about the you know infrastructure improvements possibly being needed is that something that's coming on the horizon or where do we stand and is that more of a federal type uh level project or is that are the states involved in that so first of all you said possibly that those improvements are needed i i don't think there's any any doubt that they are needed uh you know i um the you know the lock and dam system you know and i can relate i guess talks with specifically about the Mississippi and the Illinois because I've spent a lot of time over you know uh, in that area where the rivers run through but uh, yes there's there's major repairs that are that are going to uh, either are and and will be uh, taking place uh, up and down the Mississippi but more more importantly here in Illinois along the Illinois River so um, this summer there's going to be some uh, some temporary like two and three week shutdowns as they as they, meaning the Corps of uh, Engineers, as they prepare for some major um, repairs that are going to take place next year, and then again, and I think 2023, I believe, is kind of their schedule, depending on weather and depending on water flow and and flooding situations. Of course, that can that can change some of that. But um, you know, they they on the uh, Illinois River. I'm told that six of the eight locks and dams are are in need of major repairs. Um, one of them pretty close to where I live, uh, the Lagrange Lock and Dam is is slated uh, to have I think over 100 million dollars spent on it uh, starting this year and then again next year. So most of that money is federal money uh, as far as where that's coming from for those repairs. However, 
the, the state of Illinois did pass a major uh, capital infrastructure bill, and and uh, IDOT has some uh, you know some resources whether they're going to be used for uh, you know river transportation upgrades or not. I, I can't answer that. I don't know for sure, but at least if there is a situation where the state's going to need some matching funds or to come up with some uh, some funds to help su supplant perhaps some federal money. Hopefully, in the capital bill, we're going to have uh, we would have the ability to do that. But most of the most of that resources, most of the finances of of those uh, projects is going to come from federal money. I saw a number, you know, a billion with a B, a billion dollars is uh, kind of what's needed uh, to get the locks and dams up to uh, where they need to be. So that's a huge number. It's not going to happen overnight, and uh, certainly they don't have the financing to do all of that. But I do. Uh, they they are going to try to address some of the more major and significant locks and dams that need uh, repair uh, sooner rather than later. Nobody uh, nobody wants to spend that kind of money, obviously, but um, at some point you can't continue to just kick the can down the road. It's kind of like uh, needing new tires for your car. At some point you just have to bite the bullet and buy them. Absolutely. And, you know, the uh, so a lot of this is we're talking about repairs. I mean, simple maintenance, the, the lock and dam system, you know, decades and decades old. And, uh, you know, it just simply it's just wear and tear. So there's there's improvements that need to be made. And then, you know, we could we could also talk about, you know, many of the locks are 600 foot locks and uh, barges have to break apart, you know, to get them through, uh, do them in sections. And uh, certainly there's. Uh, I don't remember, I can't recall right now what the number is, but there's a number of locks that need to be upgraded to the 1,200-foot locks. And, uh, you know, you start talking about some of those improvements, obviously we're talking about significant money. But, you know, from uh, from an environmental standpoint uh, and, and moving commodities and, and products, you know, from point A to point B, the river system and the barge system is, is uh, probably the most efficient uh, form to move it, uh, to move those products, especially grain. Which obviously the uh, farm, uh, you know, when you start talking about grain and fertilizers and and the products that we uh, use or uh, sell as farmers, certainly uh, this is the most efficient uh, way to move those products, not just here here through the throughout the United States, but obviously globally. Just to circle back a little bit, we talked quite a bit about this year and the challenges of this year. Th those are weather dependent, and obviously weather dependent challenges come up every year and will continue to do so. Do you see other long-term challenges that are facing Midwestern farmers? What do you see on the horizon? Well, I see, I guess, challenges, but I also see some opportunities. And uh, I've, I've, uh, when I walked in the door here at the Department of Ag, one of the first... Uh, Oh, one of the first issues that I had to deal with was to try to get the Industrial Hemp Act um, up and running here in Illinois. So last year, the uh, Illinois General Assembly passed the Industrial Hemp Act, which uh, legalized the production of hemp, which had been outlawed, I think, since uh, I believe the 30s or the 40s. And, uh, and also in the federal farm bill that was passed late last year, there was also a provision in that uh, farm bill for the production and the growing of hemp. So uh, working with um, some great staff here at the Department of Ag, uh, we uh, we proceeded to get the, um, so the legislation was passed in 2018, but really there hadn't been much done uh, because of some, you know, previous administration as far as what their priorities were and, and the hemp uh, 
getting that uh, into uh, to, uh, into production wasn't really on their radar. So when I walked in the door, there was a great amount of interest and in something that the governor was certainly very uh, interested in as well. So we proceeded to get the rules and the regulations drafted. We got them approved by the various uh, committees uh, and the General Assembly. And um, we had a, that's a process to go through. But to make a long story short, on May the 1st, we had our applications live online for individuals to apply to grow hemp in Illinois and also to, if they wanted to process hemp in Illinois, those, those applications were available. And, and in the first 24 hours, uh, just was amazing how, how much interest there was. Uh, we had, uh, I think, 200, almost three, somewhere between 250 and 300 applications that came in in the first 24 hours. I think several thousand acres had been uh, applied for. And, uh, and and really that interest just has continued up till up till now. Uh, uh, I think we are up over 20,000 acres here in Illinois that have been uh, applied to grow hemp and uh, uh, over a thousand individuals who have asked to either grow it and to me even more importantly to process hemp. So I had no idea, I had no doubt in my mind that we were, we were going to be able to grow hemp here in Illinois. We did it for decades, you know, before it was outlawed. And uh, at one time, through a quick uh, search that I did, there was 12 different factories in Illinois that actually uh, uh, processed hemp uh, back in the 30s and the 40s. It was mostly for fiber, for rope. But um, so anyway, I knew we could grow it, but really my concern is what are we going to do with it after it's grown? But I think we're up close to 300 individuals uh, and or entities that have applied to process hemp here in Illinois. And so I'm really, really pleased about that. So I think that that's there's going to be another opportunity for farmers uh, to uh, diversify and uh, and to give uh, you know some different opportunities. The more the more diversity you have, generally the less risk the risk that you have. So I think really some great opportunities there that I'm really excited about. Yeah, that is exciting. Twenty thousand acres. That's uh, that's a lot. Um, are there any other upcoming technologies or events? from your perspective that you would see that will significantly affect the future of ag for Illinois farmers? Well, I don't know if there is a, one other very significant event that's certainly affecting the Department of Agriculture. Now from the farm from the farm and farmer standpoint, maybe not as much, but the, the General Assembly here in Illinois also passed the uh, Adult Use Recreational Marijuana Act uh, and so there, there is uh, obviously the Department of Ag is going to, not obviously, but the Department of Ag is going to play a very significant role in, uh, in, in that process. So we um, previously here in Illinois, we, uh, we had uh, medicinal marijuana um, laws that had been passed oh, several years ago. I think it's been in place about three years now. And the Department of Ag under that program was responsible for the cultivators the growing of uh, the marijuana as well as the processing of it and the transportation of it. So that was for the medicinal program. Now with the adult use program, uh, the department is going to play those roles again. So we're, we're now going to be responsible for the cultivators and the processors and the transportation. But we're also another provision is what is referred to as a craft grow that we're going to also be responsible for overseeing. So this is a this is a tremendous responsibility. Um, 
and something that uh, is going to take time and, and uh, manpower and uh, a lot of efforts to get it up and going because we want to make sure that it's done properly. And uh, so it's a big responsibility that is put on our plate here as well. Well, Director Sullivan, thanks again for taking time out of your schedule to speak with us here today. Uh, we appreciate your, uh, your words and your comments, and we hope the, the listeners learn something as well. Jason and Preston, it's been a, been a pleasure to visit with you. I do appreciate the opportunity, and uh, maybe we can do it again, do it again sometime. Sounds great. Thanks again. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you.